Let's ask the Lord if he would guide us together in his word. Gracious Father, as we approach you in the, in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, we come to your throne of grace. And today we ask for, for mercy and grace to help us. <clears throat> help us to hear and understand your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to live for the glory of your name. Help us to be your vessels. Being transformed by the work of your spirit in concert with your word. Christ's life might flow through us, impacting others for the sake of your kingdom. God, help me to communicate clearly the truth you have laid upon my heart from this passage. May I be faithful to dispense your word accurately and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage before us in Philippians 4, the Apostle is expressing his gratitude to the people of Philippi for their financial giving to him and the work that God was doing through him. And in this, he shares why they gave, and in doing so, helps us to understand some proper reasons uh, for giving. I came across a cartoon in the Leadership Journal some years ago, and it had a, uh, the disciples, and they were busy, um, hard at work, uh, distributing the food that Jesus had blessed and multiplied to be given out to the thousands who had gathered there on the, on the mountainside. And Peter heard a voice behind him. He turned around, it was the little boy that had given his, his lunch to be used. And, and Peter looked at him and he said, uh, he said, about those loaves and fishes. Peter said, yeah, what about them? He said, uh, can I get a receipt for tax purposes? You know, there, 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 that may be a fringe benefit that we have in our culture today for giving to the Lord's work. That's certainly not a biblical reason for us to give. I also came across this uh, a little story from a mother who wrote about her seven-year-old daughter who just, just won $2 for her memory work in Sunday school. And uh, after the morning service, the pastor's wife came up and congratulated her. And, and she, uh, she said, uh, uh, I put all the money in the offering today. Pastor's wife said, well, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm sure God was very pleased with that. The little child said, yeah, and now maybe God will let me do some of the things I want to do. <laughs> that is not a reason to put money in the offering plate. So that God will leave you alone and let you do your own thing. So then why do we give? What would cause you and I to take a portion of our hard-earned money and give it 
away to something that will provide no tangible goods or services for us. Why would we do that? What would motivate us to give to the Lord's work? What would cause us to do something that those who are in the world might think makes no sense, is crazy? Well, in, again, in our text here, Paul is, is sharing some of the reasons why the people of Philippi gave to his ministry. And by the way, these are not rich people. We read in 2 Corinthians 8 that they gave out of their poverty, not out of their wealth. In fact, they were so desiring to give, they were begging for an opportunity <clears throat> Paul says they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave their money. Great example to us uh, that the Philippians provide. But again, in this text, Paul lays out some of the reasons. But he also, as the recipient of their gifts, helps us to understand how we are to respond when we receive. For many of us, it's harder to receive than it is to give. And so he, he provides for us some, some help in this. And ultimately, it all comes down to this thing that I submit to you today. And that is that God gets the glory when we give and receive in a way uh, that, that, helps us, that, that helps us to keep eternity in view. And remember, our theme for this entire sermon series is living with eternity in view. As we've been working through Philippians, we seek over and over again, Paul is bringing the eternal perspective into focus and the way we live our lives. How we can have joy and how we can um, uh, have God's peace and all of the things that he's talked about within this letter all bring us back to, it all comes down to keeping eternity in perspective. And when we give with eternity in view, God gets the glory. So what are some of the pro uh, proper reasons for giving? Let me read the text and we're going we're gonna to look at some of these. He says in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now, or that now at last you have revived your concern for me indeed. You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. 
But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, today we want to cover this whole passage, generally speaking. Looking at giving and receiving. Next week we're going to focus in a little more on this, these verses 11 through 13 about contentment. But what does he say overall in this passage about by giving? What are the proper reasons for giving? At least ones he mentions here. Probably not the only ones in Scripture, but these here are three. The first is a genuine concern for those in need. Paul says in verse 10, how he rejoiced greatly that they have revived their concern for him. Their giving to Paul and his ministry was out of concern for him. For how he was doing. They cared about him. They cared about what he was doing. They cared about what he was going through. And they wanted to help him. And so it's driven out of this concern. The word concern here means to think, implying not only thought, but also affections. Their, their will and their consideration. In fact, Paul uses the same word multiple times throughout Philippians, but the first time he uses it in verse chapter 1, verse 7, when he's talking about his uh, affection for them. We'll start in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, I'm confident this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is only right for me to feel this way about you. That word feel is that same word. It's, he says, it's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are partakers of grace with me. What he's talking about is this partnership they had with him in giving. The concern they had for him that prompted them to give. Paul is expressing back to them how he feels about them. How thankful he is for them. This concern. He says, you've revived your concern. I love that word, revived. It's the only time in the Bible this word is used. Um, this particular word. It means to sprout up again. Uh, to, to grow green and flourish again. And what a great image in the springtime. Right? We see the flowers popping through and the, the trees that are, that are uh, blooming with all the pretty flowers on them. Uh, after uh, winter, when everything was dead, now it's reviving again. It's flourishing. And he says, this is how your, your concern for me was. You, yeah, you were always concerned, but you lacked opportunity. Just like the flowers lack an opportunity in the cold of winter to pop out and, 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 and be so beautiful. But then when the opportunity of spring comes, they come. And 
He says, your, 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 your concern has been revived. It's come forth again. And, and this opportunity has been provided. Their concern was also shown, verse 16, in their frequent giving. Because when I was in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my need. They were consistently giving. They were faithful to give. It was a, a habit of theirs to give. Because of their concern. And often it's this concern that causes us to give to special things. Right? Sometimes we'll have a, a special offering for a particular need. Just a month or so ago, uh, we asked you to give toward uh, Gospel Links uh, ministry to, to help with uh, some of the humanitarian needs so they could disperse money to their pastors so that they could buy supplies to meet the actual needs of people in Ukraine during this, this conflict. And in doing so, it would earn them the right to share the gospel with these people. In three weeks, we raised over about $6,000. Not one penny of that $6,000 do you get anything back. Why, do you, why would you give to that? Out of a concern for other people. I have a concern for their needs. Not only their physical needs, but their spiritual needs. That will be met as this money is dispersed into the Ukraine. Into the hands of godly men and women who will share the gospel as they share food and water. And is out of a genuine concern for those in need. Secondly, to share in the work that is being done. Paul says, you, you shared with me, verse 14, in my afflictions, hardships that I went through, Paul says, in doing the work God had called me to. You participated with me. In fact, the word share there is a, a word, that, a compound word that means to partake together with someone. To join in with them. To partner with in the work. And their continual giving was a demonstration of their Understanding that they were partnering with Paul in the work that he was physically doing and the gospel was going forth. They were partners in that. This is what motivates us to partner with missionaries. To give financially to those missionaries and the work that God has specifically called them to do in other places. We are actually partnering together with them in the work and the ministry that's being done. It's important that we understand that. When we get these reports and we hear about um, what God is doing around the world on these mission fields, how lives are being transformed by the gospel of Christ, how people's lives are, are being helped 
because, because Dave Forney flies to places and provides aid and, and, and brings truth to these people and, and brings supplies and, and, and brings missionaries and, and brings missionaries out and helps them to get the medical attention they need and all the things that he does. And the, the people in the Dem tribe that heard the gospel for the first time in 2021 and responded. And a church is being formed among a people group who had never heard the gospel before in all their generations before. You had a part in that. Because we give. Because our giving keeps them there, doing the work there. And so when we read these reports, we need to understand we are partners in this. In this work. We're going to be able to hear from some of our missionaries this summer. As they're going to be in our area and, and be able to come and share with us. I want you to keep in mind they're not just sharing about something God is doing somewhere else. They're sharing about what we are, what God is doing through us together as we partner. Remember that when you write the check. We're sharing in the work that God is doing around the world. We get the privilege of doing that. And one of the decisions we made when we first started Cornerstone was when we gave, we wanted to partner in a significant way financially with a few missionaries rather than a little bit to a whole bunch. Because we wanted to be able to, um, to have a significant impact financially. And so we give many, many hundreds of dollars to each of our missionaries every, every month. Now, other, other people do it differently, and that, that's fine. There's no right or wrong, but that's just a choice we made because we wanted to have that impact. And I am told by some of our missionaries that we give more money than they're sending to us. Again, every church has a different philosophy. What that says to me is we are a significant partner in the work that God is doing around this world. He has given us that privilege. What a, what a joy it is to give in this way. <laughs> some, of, some of you who are, who are older may remember uh, the comedian Bob Hope. Bob Hope used to, uh, had, a, had a, a ministry, kind of a, a service, if, if you will. I'm not, not sure where his spiritual life was, but he would, he would go over and, and, uh, and serve the, 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 uh, our troops and stuff and and bring humor and stuff, he made this comment. He said, laughter is an instant vacation, but giving is a two-week cruise with faith. <laughs> Boy, if we could see it that way. It's motivated by a concern for those in need. It's, it's driven by a desire to share in the work, to be, to be a significant partner in what God is doing in other places. But there's a third reason and probably most significant, is an act of worship to God. Paul says in verse 18, I've received everything in full. Right? This gift that you sent through, your, through the servant Epaphroditus, he said, I received it in full, and I have an abundance. I'm amply supplied having received what you've sent through, through Epaphroditus. And he says, it is a fragrant aroma, uh, an acceptable sacrifice, a well-pleasing gift to God. This is imagery from the Old Testament sacrifices. The whole system 
Remember, there were uh, sweet savor aroma sacrifice, and there were non-sweet savor. Uh, three of uh, the five main sacrifices were sweet savor, the burnt offering, the grain or meal offering, and the, and the peace offering. Those were sweet savor, the, the, the sin and the guilt offerings, they were non-sweet savor. Those were primarily focused upon because of sin. These ones were acts of worship to God. They were, they were prompted by a desire to honor God, to, to, to give thanks, to, to express that, that praise and that, that honor to God. They were sweet savor offerings, sacrifices given to God. Paul says your financial giving is like that sweet savor offering. It is to the Lord. It's an act of worship. Giving is a sacrifice. It demonstrates the value God is to us. I love the story that if you've been reading, keeping up with the reading through, through the Scripture in a year, uh, you would have read this this past week in 2 Samuel 24 when when King David had, had sinned against the Lord by numbering the people. Um, uh, he, was, he was looking to see how many, he was kind of putting his trust, it would seem, in, in the numbers that he had rather than in the Lord. And, and so he, he acted in a way that was dishonoring to God. And, and so God brought discipline, not just upon David, but upon the people. And this is the way it is in leadership. When leaders mess up, there are consequences for those under that leadership. In the same way, when, when leaders do the right thing, there are blessings for those who follow that leader. But in this case, David sinned against the Lord, and so there was consequences that were dealt out among the nation of Israel, and, and it so grieved David's heart, and David realized, I brought this on. And he cried out to the Lord, and, and God, through the prophet, spoke to him and said, I want you to make a sacrifice on the threshing floor on the mountain. It was a threshing floor that was owned by a man named Aranah in Israel. And so David approached him, and when he saw him coming, he, what, what, you know, what, can I, what can I give to the king? And, and, and he said, I want to make an offering on, on the threshing floor. And this man said, well, I'll give it to you. You can have the threshing floor. You can have the, the ox for the, for the offering and the, the, the wood for the, you can have it all. And David said, no, I will buy it from you. He said this. He said, I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David said, I'm not going to give to my God unless it costs me something. Giving is a sacrifice. It costs us something. But it's a demonstration of the value that we place on God. Obviously, we can never give enough to equal what God is worth. But we give as a demonstration that we value God. It's an act of worship. Worship comes from that Latin word, worship. So I have a question for you, and I want you, I want you to think about this over the next week, two weeks, month, whatever. I don't, I don't want an emotional response. I want you to think about this. 
If everyone gave like you give, what would the state of the church be? Doesn't even need to be financial. Just think about this. And I'm not talking about necessarily just a local church. What would the condition of the body of Christ be if every person served the way you served? Gave the amount of time and effort and, and used the gifts to serve the body of Christ. And again, it could be ministries outside of the local church. How would ministry be going? How would, how would the church be thriving if, and service going if, if everyone gave how you give and serve how you serve. And then you think about that financially. And I know everybody has different amounts of money entrusted to them to be able to give. But think about proportionally. If everyone gave financially in proportion like you give, what would the condition of the body of Christ be? It's a sobering thought, is it not? Now I want to I be clear. First of all, I have no idea what anyone in this church gives except my wife and I. That's by design. When we start this, I have, I have no opportunity to see, nor do I want to see, what anyone gives. I see the amounts overall. So I'm not talking to anybody specifically. And secondly, I don't say that because we're in some desperate need. Not at all. God has been very faithful to this church through you. What I'm simply saying is this is an issue of stewardship. And if there's one person, five people, whatever, in the hearing of my voice who need to be challenged on this, and I simply throw this out. Ask the Lord about this. Because it's an issue of worship. It's an issue of stewardship. It's an issue of obedience to God. These are some of the proper biblical reasons for our giving. Well, comes maybe the second part, which is even maybe harder. <laughs> and that is some proper responses in receiving. Dr. Constable, in his comments on this passage, says this, We know that God loves a cheerful giver, but I believe we also need to stress that God loves a cheerful receiver. Cheerful receivers make giving and receiving a joy. It's especially important that the called workers of the church learn to be gracious, cheerful receivers. This is not necessarily an easy task. The art of being a gracious, cheerful, thankful receiver may be even more difficult than being a cheerful giver. If we learn to accept the compliments and the special personal gifts which we receive in a gracious, cheerful manner, we will help make giving and receiving a joy for ourselves and for other people. It's not easy being in a position like our, many, like our missionaries are. That they're they depend upon to, to live, to survive, to get all their needs met. They depend upon the faithful giving of other people. You know, most of us are, are kind of 
deceived into thinking that God's not providing, I'm providing for myself because I go to work and I do a job and I get paid to do that. Well, God's provided you with the ability to work, with the opportunity to work, with the employer, uh, with all the things that you have to be able to do a job that pays uh, a salary or an hourly wage. But it's not easy, and many of us know this, it's not easy to receive, we'd rather be the, on the giving side. Right? It's just, it's hard. It's hard. But Paul shows us how to do this. We see first of all in verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Rejoice in the Lord. There's a proper response in receiving when other people give that benefits you it helps meet a need in your life. And it may be financial, may not be financial. But we have an opportunity in the next few weeks to, be a, uh, to give and to be a blessing to the Reynolds by coming alongside of them and giving a ride to Dan to his, to his doctor uh, appointment. To free Darlene up to be able to continue to do what she needs to do at the, at the, at the, at the business. It costs time not money. It's a great thing for them to be able to rejoice in the Lord for His provision through His people. Paul understood that what he, what he received was from the heart of God through the hands of the Philippians. From the heart of God through the hands of the Philippians. So he rejoiced in the Lord expressed his praise to the Lord. When we resist receiving, we miss an opportunity to give God the praise he deserves. Often it's because of maybe pride in our heart. Because we don't want to appear as if we have a need that someone else is meeting. Warren Wearsby, I think, puts, puts it very well. He says, prosperity has done more damage to believers than has adversity. For this reason, we have everything in our culture that we, we could buy just about anything we need, and so we don't have a need for someone else to help us. I remember talking to... Uh, an individual who's now gone on would be with the Lord, and, and they lived a generation ago. And, uh, and as a farmer, grew up in a, in a farm town where, where uh, you know, everybody had to help each other, right? Because every farmer maybe had one piece of, of, of equipment. And so throughout the community, each one would buy a different piece of equipment, and they would share that equipment with each other. They needed each other. What is it now? Everybody has all their own stuff. We don't have a need. We don't have a need to borrow. We don't have a need to help each other or be helped. So I just want to encourage you. Make, you know, if you have a need, make it known. Let, let it be known. Let people come alongside and minister. You know how what a blessing it is to give. Especially when you know it really meets a need. Why not? Allow someone else to have that blessing. When you have a need. I'm not talking about someone who's just, just taking for the sake of taking. 
Right? We don't need more takers. We have enough of them in this world. To rejoice in the Lord when we are recipients of God's blessing, God's work through someone else who is generous and kind and concerned and wanted to participate in what God was doing in and through your life. A second response would be to keep trusting the Lord no matter what happens. This is that contentment that we want to talk about more next week. Paul says, listen, I... I learned how to live. I've learned how to live when I've had plenty. And, and, and it's very possible as we look at Paul's life and where he came from in Tarsus that, that Paul was potentially raised in a very affluent home as a child. He knows what it's like to have a lot of stuff. And, and, and he also knows what it's like to go with, without. And he says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, having an abundance and suffering need. I've learned this issue of contentment. Contentment is not found in our circumstances and not found in our financial status. It's in our relationship with Christ. You see, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Trusting the Lord no matter what happens. Knowing that ultimately you're dependent on Him. And then lastly, cultivate a grateful heart. Cultivate a grateful heart for the ways in which God has provided through other people. There are many ways that Paul expresses this here. You know, it's good. It's good for us to express gratitude. Certainly to the Lord, but also to each other when somebody else has been an instrument of God to be a blessing. It's good. It's good to give thanks, to let them know how God has used them. To let them know you're grateful for their willingness to hear from God and be used by God some of the things that, that Paul talks about in this passage. In verse 14, he says to them, it's, you did well to share with me. You did well. He's, here's, here's Paul, a, uh, an apostle in the Lord, saying to these uh, believers in the, in the church of Philippi, well done, good and faithful servant. What you did was a blessing. It was good. Verse 15, we see they were the only ones that shared with him in that time of need when he first started preaching the gospel. The only ones. We see they gave multiple times, and he expresses that. He gave. He reminds them of how they were a blessing, and he expresses that as a way of maybe saying thank you. He also says in verse 17 about, he says, I, it's not that I seek after the gift. I, I'm not saying these things because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to manipulate you to give more. He says, I don't seek the gift itself. I seek the profit that comes to you and to your account. God will bless you because you've been faithful to give to his work. And I want 
I so want you to receive a reward for your generosity and your blessing. He acknowledged to them that what they gave was a demonstration of their love for God and their act of worship. He acknowledged his confidence in the Lord in verse 19 that God would supply for them all of their needs according to God's riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You give to the Lord's work, God's going to bless you. You will never be able to outgive God. I love that passage in Malachi where God is, again, rebuking the nation of Israel because they had not been tithing. And he says, you've been stealing from me. And they said, how have we been stealing? He said, by not bringing the whole tithe into the house of God. And he says, test me in this. The only time I know of in all the Bible where God tells us to test him is in this. He says, see if when you give, God does not open the heavens up pour out a blessing on your life. It may not be riches. God's blessings are, are, are abound in so many different ways. Paul is confident because they were faithful to give, not out of their wealth, but out of their poverty, out of a desire to honor the Lord and to, to, to meet Paul and his needs. He says, I know this, that my God will supply for you all that you need according to His riches and glory. And then lastly, Paul expresses that it is to the glory of God that all of this takes place. To the glory of God. Forever and ever. God gets the glory when we cultivate a grateful heart. God gets the glory when we keep trusting Him no matter what happens. God gets the glory when we rejoice in Him when we receive from his heart, and from the hands of others. He gets the glory when we have proper responses in giving as an act of worship. He gets the glory when we share in the work that he is doing in other people's lives. He gets the glory when we have a genuine concern that prompts us to give. You know, I, as I was thinking about this week, I thought, you know, this genuine concern, again, it is not prompted by the amount of money we have in our access. It's prompted by the amount of our heart that God has access to. So we can never say, I can't afford to give. Because what you're saying is, I can't afford to worship God. We can afford it if we want to. Again, please understand, I'm not here to put on guilt trip on anybody. I'm here to say, if your heart is to, to honor Christ, if you desire to be a good steward, if you desire to please and worship Him, then you've got to give consideration to this, no matter what amount of money you have access to. It's about your heart toward God. When your heart is for God, God will give you opportunity in proportion to what he just supplied for you. I have a good friend who's now retired from pastoral ministry. He told me early in his ministry as a pastor, you know, um, he was hardly making anything. He could barely put groceries on the table. And he convinced himself that his tithe was his time. 
because he was fasting, he was giving his time to the Lord, and that was his tithe. And he found they were struggling constantly until one day God used his word to speak very clearly to him about the importance of giving financially. And he began to give 10% of what he had, not knowing if they'd have enough groceries. And he said, he remembers very specifically at the end of that week, they did not have enough money to buy groceries. And that was not going to do it. An elderly woman in the church who didn't have a lot either. She had two bags of groceries and she said, Pastor, I just felt compelled by God to go to the store and buy you groceries. I don't know how God's going to use that. But imagine the blessing that was to him because he entrusted this thing to the Lord and was obedient. The blessing it was to this woman who was obedient to God's prompting because she was able to meet a need out of her meager means. And God gets the glory for it all. See, we don't need a rich uncle sugar daddy. We need an honor Christ. And he'll take care of the rest. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his writing to the Philippians sharing again under the inspiration of your spirit for sure. These truths that we learn Help us understand what a, the proper reason for giving is. Certainly, Lord, my desire is not that anyone would give out of, of guilt because of what I said today, but they would take this before you and say, Lord, if I don't have a concern for others, Lord, give me that concern. If I don't have a desire to share in the ministry in this way, Lord, give me that desire. God, put in my heart to worship you in this way. Ask the Lord to show you. God, would you do this in each of us? And Father, may you help us to be able to receive well the blessings you give to us when they come through the hand of another servant of Christ. May we receive it with grace and But Lord, in all this, you are working in multiple ways, in multiple lives to give us the opportunity to glorify you over and over again. I'm so thankful, Father, for how you've supplied in my life, in my family, your generosity of others. No, Lord, you know in my flesh I would love to have enough money to take care of things myself and not be dependent. But God, you know I need to be dependent on you. Oh, God, would you keep working in our lives? Keep growing us up in you.
us we give you thanks. We know that we can depend on you to supply all of our needs according to the riches you have in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.